Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Romans, beginning with Romans chapter 3, verse 21. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. In this section of Scripture, Paul tells us that the righteousness of God has been made known to the world, not through the law that Moses had given to Israel, but through faith in Jesus for anyone who believes. What is it that Paul's talking about here? What is the righteousness of God? Well, the simple answer is it's the right thing that God is doing. I know there are some religious folks that want to talk about this righteousness of God as an attribute of God. And while that is true, one of God's attributes is that he is righteous. Here, as we've looked at chapter 3 so far, Paul is talking about whether or not the promises that God made to Abraham are still in effect. Has God been righteous in keeping those promises that he made to Abraham? And in this section, Paul is letting us know that it is very clear that God has kept those promises. He has done the right thing. But it didn't happen through a giving and receiving of the law to Israel. It happened in allowing people to come to faith in Jesus. That was the right thing that God did. God is faithful to the covenant he made with Abraham. But the Hebrew people were not And there were consequences to that. Israel did not allow God to keep them out of trouble, and they ended up being a very poor conduit for God's blessings to the other nations. God sustained Israel through their struggles until Jesus came and modeled covenant faithfulness and provided a means for all the nations to be blessed by God. 
It is in the life of Jesus that we see God setting things right, keeping his promise to Abraham. We access those blessings not based on anything we've accomplished. Rather, God has done us the favor of blessing us because of what Jesus has done. So it's not the law that confirms and upholds the promise that was made to Abraham. Rather, it is the graciousness of God. God is then able to do the right thing, keep his promise to Abraham, and acquit us of guilt because the covenant was brought to fulfillment in the sacrifice of Jesus. So faith does not nullify the law, but confirms the law. What we know as a result of this is that under the law, even the best folks failed. But with God's grace, even the worst of us can be saved. To further expound on the point that Paul's making here, he uses the example of Abraham and how the promise was made initially, and how that shows the manner in which we could expect God to fulfill the promise. So let's pick up Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations." in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life and the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here Paul is explaining to us how Abraham received the promise so that we can learn from his actions, his behavior, and his faith to make sure that we're able to receive those promises as well. In verse 3, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and says that Abraham believed, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Reading that sentence, it's easy for us to get in our heads that Abraham had a thought in his mind that God must be correct about what he had said. But notice that what Abraham does here is trust God enough with what God said that it affects his actions. It affects what he does. It wasn't the doing of those things that made him right. It was why he was doing them. Now, when you get to the book of James, he will use this exact same story to make a different point, that activity is a part of faith. It's not just a mental ascent. It is trusting enough to do what God says. Abraham did that. He put enough trust in God that whatever God was going to say, Abraham was going to do. And it was that level of trust that gave him access to God's promises. And that trust comes ahead of the action. Paul says that's important because in that, we see that God was making a promise apart from the law. He even says in the very next verse, verse 4, that the one who works, when he receives wages or benefits from the work he does, that's not a gift. That's what he's owed. Abraham was not God's hired hand getting what he deserved. He was a trusting servant who was blessed by his master. And Paul makes the point that that's the way that we should be. We're not going to God doing things to make God do our bidding. We submit wholly to him because we trust him and do whatever he asks. When Paul gets to verses 10 and 11, he says, How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Paul says justification or being in right standing before God came before he actually went through with the circumcision. Circumcision was not what put Abraham into a covenant with God. It was evidence that he was in a covenant with God. It was his trust that had bound him together with God. That trust caused him to be circumcised. It was the fulfillment of that trust, but it was the heart that caused him to be circumcised that caused him to be in right standing before God. Then in verse 16, Paul says, it had to be this way so that everyone would have access to the promise. 
That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It had to happen that way. The right standing before God had to come before there was a law in place, before there was action in place, because what God is looking for is a heart that desires to do whatever God wants, a trusting servant who can be used by God for his purposes rather than having a hired hand who demands a wage for everything he does. Because that's the way Abraham received the promise. Then everyone of every nation can receive God's promises the same way, not on the basis of keeping the law that was given to Israel by Moses, but on the basis of a willingness to do whatever God said, because we trust him so much. Then in verses 18 and 19, Paul says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Nothing that God told Abraham made any sense at all. But Abraham believed it anyway. He didn't get ensnared with doubt. He actually came to believe it more and more as time went on. This is what it looks like to have faith. We're not always sure how God is going to bring about the result he promised, but we do trust that he will. So we do whatever he tells us along the way, eagerly anticipating the fulfillment of those promises. And the more we trust God on that journey, the more our faithfulness grows, the more trust we put into him because we see him doing the right thing, fulfilling his promises on every step of the journey. I've covered a large chunk of Romans in this episode, and I know that I haven't talked about every single phrase. And I do that on purpose because I want to make sure that we see the overview of what Paul's talking about. He'll actually revisit some of these things later in his letter, other things you may need to take the time to study on your own. But it's important that we understand the framework of the point that he's making so that when we study some of the particular words and phrases that are in here, we keep them in their proper context, that we don't try to make this text say more than it actually does or keep it from saying all that it does. But there is one more thing that I'd like to point out before we close this episode. As Paul begins the section, and as he ends it, he talks about God's glory. In Romans 3.23, he said, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He lets us know that sin tarnishes God's glory. It keeps people from seeing the greatness, the majesty of God. It was the thing that got in Israel's way that kept them from being able to fulfill the covenant and required Jesus to come and do it in their stead. Because he was without sin, the full glory of God could be seen in Jesus. And then as we get to Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Paul lets us know that a faith like Abraham actually shows God's glory. He said he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. The purpose of God's covenant with man is so that he is known and glorified through his people. We receive the blessings of the covenant when we are faithful to the one who fulfilled it. 
Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.